0: Buddy, how you doing well that's good you're listening to phly flyers that's right phly my name is bill Max. i'm the director of fun and games for the evening with me as always alphia's number one hockey beat reporter
1: charlie o'connor what's going on today charlie yeah i mean just to show how important the show is i interrupted some serious fantasy football trade negotiations to uh to jump on this show that's how much i value this show, and our listeners.
0: It's very important,
1: Charlie. Extremely important. I, I very
0: much appreciate that, <laughs> and we'll try to make it worth your while, and we'll try to make it worth all your while. Of course, it is just another Mailbag Monday, and we will get to all of uh, your questions in a bit, but I have to lead off today. I got to lead off with the Eagles. big because, win last night Because God damn it, is the tush-push funny. It's so funny.
1: Like, I love how much everybody hates that's the thing it's not even like the play is great because obviously it helps it always works but it's so funny like there's nothing that makes philadelphia fans happier when we do something that pisses everyone else off yes it's great
0: it's what what i don't understand we hear this like it's not a legitimate football play it's like pretty sure it is no one ever says why (laughs) they think that they all just say it if you think that, if that's your opinion, you're wildly unoriginal. You have no thoughts in your head. You're parroting something you heard someone else say. The end. But I will like, I'm trying to think of what like the hockey equivalent of it is. or just a play One, that you know like, is gonna work and something doesn't that's, matter. Like I can't think of anything that's as controversial. I guess the spinorama a couple years ago. Because so it was like, well, technically the puck's not moving forward.
1: Oh, on shootouts. On shootouts. Right. So he's like, right. okay, all right. But I that's, can see that's that. not a sure thing every yeah. time.
0: But, like, something that you can't, like, you know is coming and can't stop. The only thing, and, like, like you know, what is Ovechkin's best season? Shoot, like, 20%. That's, like, insane. The OV spot on the power play yeah. where, like, You know where he's going to be. Yeah. You know what he's going to do, and you know what they're all trying to do, and yet the man is going to break the all-time goal-scoring record mostly because of that
1: one spot. That is— That's like the most— I think that's probably the closest, yeah, because it's one of those things where he's done this for two decades. If teams were ever going to figure out how to stop it, they would have figured it out by now. But they can't because he has one of the best shots ever and just has that knack for locating it while one-timing it at this insane velocity, which is not exactly similar but you know there is the fact that Jalen Hurts can can squat 600 pounds and they have a Hall of Fame center and you know what like sorry you don't have those things so you can't do this play as well as we can I think of the calls to
0: ban it uh, and this just this just popped in my head it's like the um, the hell's the shape behind the net the parallelogram the trapezoid. trapezoid, trapezoid whatever the hell it's called like there's no more Marty Brodeur so we don't need it yeah and like that is kind of yeah, similar can, though we can ban it yeah. Yeah. but like because no one Jason else do kelsey's that. gonna be retired in a year <laughs> and there's no other jalen hurts so i wouldn't i wouldn't yeah. worry too much about everyone else trying this exactly like i just see it as something like all right yeah let's let's legislate some more you know what the you know what all sports need more, more rules, rules yeah. baby that's I think what we're we all need. looking forward <laughs> to more rules but that, i just had to get that in um before we get on with the hockey portion of this program, though, so we're Charlie, going to another sport. You're gonna, you're gonna, be, just, you're gonna well, get the, the only hockey fans very are, angry. You are Philadelphia's number two or three <laughs> baseball beat reporter. It might be a little ambitious, but thank you. <laughs> uh, I need an official prediction. The Phillies have never played a game seven.
1: Will that streak continue? No, they're winning tonight, and I will be there for them, hopefully, Ooh. closing out the series in six. I'm of the opinion. The, the reason why I go into this game not that worried is that even if they lose game six, which I don't think they're going to, but even if they do, it's so hard for me to imagine Arizona winning two straight games in that madhouse that is Citizens Bank Park. It would be surprising. It would be very surprising. Like, they needed to win one of the three in Arizona. They did. Ideally, you win two, and you never have to go back. But all they really need to do is win one because I just find it very difficult that they're going to lose two straight games at home, given how utterly bonkers Citizens by Park is. As fun
0: as Garrett Stubbs going in the pool naked would have been. <laughs> it would have been funny. I think <laughs> I think it's great for everyone that they wrap it up here. All right. Let's get on with the uh, the hockey portion of today's PHLY the Flyers. Division leading <laughs> Philadelphia Flyers. The first place Philadelphia Flyers three one and one to start this season i can't say anyone had this on their bingo cards now we have been hearing from people who from the start said i think everyone's underrating this team there's no way they're a bottom five team i still think that's very much on the table could be. like it could happen uh but the way they're playing right now the people who thought that this was going to be better than expected yeah, you were you were damn right. Uh, turns out Sean <laughs> Couturier. Everything's cool. Carter Hart. He's really good. Travis Sanheim. Actually, we've had a number one defenseman this whole time. It's what do him. You know? Uh know <laughs> who, who would have thunk it? But I, I want to start out with something you've been. Uh, this has been a little pet project of yours. You've been very excited to publish this and I saw it. Hit all P-H-L-Y, was it yesterday? Yes.
1: It was, I thought about waiting until today, but it was like, you know what? It's done. Just why get not, it up. Why not publish yeah. it? Yeah. What else is going
0: on in Philly sports? We can read about Joel Farabee's house. Yeah, well, there
1: was like four hours before the Eagles yeah. game. People had time. No,
0: it's it's something you've been looking forward to and you've been, uh, you've been telling me about, and I've been excited to read it. It's this piece about Joel Farabee, and his place in Old City has become— stop me if you've heard this before the hub for all the young guys <laughs> and uh it's a it's basically he's taking on this leadership role and we've heard uh like yeah on the last broadcast i think they brought up like he's maturing into a leadership role and they're asking him about it and he's just kind of like i don't know i'm not the guy like yelling and screaming yeah. in the locker room but i'm one of the guys who's Look, there's been a lot of turnover. He's been here a while. Yeah. He was here pre-pandemic, which feels like a goddamn decade ago. Not many dudes left on this team <laughs> were. Tell me uh, just about this All City, why you were why you were excited to write this uh, Old City piece, and maybe one anecdote. Don't give the whole thing away. Go to allphly.com and read the thing, goddammit. But one maybe anecdote from this that will sell people on it.
1: Yeah, I think it just, it became obvious when we got to, to training camp that Joel Farabee, we, we knew that he stayed through the entirety of camp. Anybody who follows any of these players on Instagram saw the videos he was posting, was all over Philly. But it became clear that he had really opened up his house to all of the young players who were here during the summer. Now, some were here the entire summer, like Tyson Forrester, actually, in, in the piece, I would break this down, he is Joel Farabee's roommate. Well, that's how it all started yes. when you were telling me about it. It was like...
0: Tyson Forrester's living with him, and that's what they're telling us. It seems like a lot more oh, dudes yeah. are hanging oh, out, Oh yeah.
1: yeah, well, so Wade Allison, obviously not on the team. We'll actually get to him a little bit later in the show, but he lived in, in, um, in Farabee's basement last season. Tyson Forrester was always planning to move into the second floor this year. Igor Zamul was there apparently all the time in the summer. All of the kids who were in town for development camp were hanging out there. Joel Faraby just basically bought this house from Sean It's Couturier, Sean Couturier's old place. Sean Couturier was moving because, you know, he was having a child you know settling down so he's like i'm gonna move out of the city and apparently he was injured it was during it was before the second back surgery but after the first one so this would have been like february-ish i believe in like 2022 i guess and basically just kind of mentioned in passing as farabee was her too and just mentioned yeah i think i might sell my place and farabee just said really You know, I I might might be in the market for one. And then they just do a uh, an internal flyer sale. And now it is Joel Farabee's place. And apparently Joel Farabee found very quickly that this place was way, way, way too big for him. Uh, So then he's just like, I need friends. And (laughs) (laughs) and apparently he uh, he bugged when when he would hurt his neck in in off-season training he comes back to the philly area to like get it checked out you know start i guess his rehab do the surgery whatever and he asks forrester to come pick him up because forrester is in town and on the car in the car ride home farabee immediately is like so tyson you want to live with me and that's how he ended up getting his roommate (laughs)
0: like that's absolutely that's outstanding um is there any because we know how this went the last time (laughs) First of all, I'm I am I'm really, really intrigued by the idea of Sean Couturier moving to the suburbs. Like, in my mind, he went, Danny, like, you got any neighbors selling your house? I really liked your neighborhood. <laughs> yeah, right. I yeah. Can, like, he grew up there, everything right? Everything <laughs> coming full circle. But <laughs> is there any sort of consternation about this going the same way as last time?
1: I, I do not get the sense that Joel Farabee is of the same ilk (laughs) ilk as Mike Richards and Jeff Carter I Joel Farabee let me put it this way Joel Farabee told me this did not make the story because it really had nothing to do with the story but Joel Farabee's pandemic hobby that he took up was teaching himself how to play video games on a keyboard I think that is more Joel Farrabee. I don't, you know, not saying that they will not party and they will not go out <laughs> of the town, but I think Joel Farrabee's idea of a good night is, you know, playing Fortnite until 3 a.m. You know, that, that is him going hard. As much as this is
0: good for the team and the overall health of the players, there's something to be said for. Just being abs. Like, why get that good at sports? (laughs) Why try so? The whole point is to lead a life of fantasy. (laughs) Like,
1: whatever uh I, I do get the sense that, and this was the kind of the point yeah. of the piece is that it's not like joel Farrabee is stepping up and he's becoming this you know like he's gonna wear the c and he's in the room you know telling guys he need to shape up but it's pretty clear that joel farabee he just he likes hanging out with his buds and he is now like making it he's taking it upon himself that when younger players whether they're prospects who haven't made the team yet or whether they're just young guys who are on the team who are getting used to new city he's taking it upon himself to try to make them feel more comfortable in Philadelphia, feel more comfortable in the area and just feel closer to his teammates. And I think, you know, I'm not saying they're going out and getting bombed every night and whatever. I don't think that would be a great thing, but I do think it's important to have that team camaraderie. I think it's important for young guys to very quickly feel like they're not just, this isn't just a job that this is, this is a family that that we're building a group and we want everyone to feel included. And I get the sense that for Joel Faraby, that's really important that he just his personality is one of those because I feel like every friend group, most good friend groups have that guy or that girl who just wants everyone to feel like they're having a good time and everyone to feel like they're included. And I get the sense that Joel Faraby is that guy for this team. He's becoming that guy for this team now that he's getting older. And I think it's a good thing for for them building chemistry and then building, you know, a real bond as a group. I think it's important.
0: And we've talked about the differences between last year's team and this year's team. Last year's team get off to a similar start. I said they started three and one, five and two last year, but the way they're playing looks much, much different. Oh, yeah. Last year was Absolutely. a big, like last year was a big transition. The first year without G, first year of like, Torts, yeah, first year of Tortorella, <laughs> people getting used to everything, and now it seems as if. I know we've made the comparison to the Phillies, and I don't think there's ever been a locker room in sports tighter than that fucking clubhouse. It's it's, yeah. it's absolutely goddamn yeah. ridiculous. Like one of the right fielders, ten year old kid is like part of the he's team. Basically, all the he's team at basically this point. part <laughs> of the team. Like it's insane. But we're starting to see something building with this group. Can they sustain the all ice success? I don't know. I've been wrong about this team a decade in a row. So, like, who's to say? But this thing seems to be happening a little bit organically, and we've talked about how important that is. Yes. Culture arising, not because, damn it, we got to do it the Flyers way and we have to pigeonhole everybody in. It's... Yeah, everyone comes together and it just kind of happens. Yeah, it's it's not like that. What's going on here? It's
1: not like and maybe this was a mistake that we made. And I say we collectively in terms of people who follow the Flyers, like maybe this is a mistake we made with somebody like Mike Richards, where, you know, Mike Richards was pigeonholed. He's like, you got to be the next Bobby Clark like that is You are the next generation Bob Clark. And it's like in some ways he was. He was a super relentless player, obviously had some amazing moments, but also like maybe they gave him the captaincy a little too early because because he said he didn't want it yeah, and then they gave it, they to, gave him it anyway. to him anyway like maybe these things have to happen more organically and what was really exciting about doing that piece about Faraby was that it really did seem like it's organic it seems like Faraby it's it's not like he's doing this because you know man we well, we got to do this we like i have to open it. it's like no I just like hanging out with my buds. And the more buds, the better. And that's the way he's looking. And like, hey, I got a real big house. I got way too much space. So, hey, like like Tanner Luzinski, this didn't make the piece, but Tanner Luzinski, obviously didn't make the team, he was literally crashing on Farabee's couch through the entirety of training camp because his wife and kid, I believe, were still in, in Allentown, and they weren't sure if he was going to make the team. So it's like, well, if you make the team, we'll move to Philly. Until then, we're going to stay in Allentown, and I need somewhere to stay, and Joel's like, yeah, just come crash on my couch uh, for a few honey, weeks. honey, I don't know if I'm going <laughs> to make, you know, I'm just going to stay at Joel's. You stay back in Allentown.
0: It's cool, man we'll figure this out if and when anything
1: happens (laughs) my man went on a vacation for training camp
0: no wonder he didn't make the team
1: i mean he he had a pretty good camp he's actually playing quite well in the ahl he did he had a hat trick the other night yeah which we'll get to but again it just it feels organic it feels like this isn't joel farabee forcing it it feels like this is joel farabee just wants to be friends with his buddies and this is an interesting transition because one thing that I've heard, and I don't know if I've talked a lot about this on the show, but if you've been watching John Tortorella's press conferences, if you've been following everything that's tweeted out about quotes from, from him on Twitter, he has said on multiple occasions that he feels like this room is so much better than it was last year. And he's he's been very careful to say, he's like, it's not that I think the guys that we got rid of were bad guys. It's just that it seems like, These guys who are left fit better together and it's allowing for guys like Joel Faraby who maybe before like, I do not think that Kevin Hayes was a toxic influence in the locker room. I don't. I think he's a good dude. I think there's a reason why he's one of the most well-liked players around the NHL. But the fact of the matter is, is that Kevin Hayes was kind of the like party guy. He was the guy who got everybody together. Like that was him. That's always been him maybe Joel Faraby doesn't step up like this into this role if Kevin Hayes is there because he figures well creates like, the like, opportunity like that's, this is like, Kevin's room. this is that's what Kev does I don't want to step on his yeah. toes now Kevin Hayes is gone and suddenly you have a 23 year old Joel, Joel Faraby being the guy who's who's planning the things and like who on a, on a Friday after practice if they don't have a game it's like hey come over to my place we'll all hang and then maybe we'll hit up a bar and maybe like I, I you know I'm not in the locker room I'm not on the team maybe I'm
0: misjudging the dynamics here but we'll get to the other two in a second second but Hayes specifically seemed like a leader for a different group
1: I agree with that like I totally the, agree of with the that. the G
0: and Jake team yeah yeah like with Elaine Vigneault it worked yeah and with what they're left with it's like all right old man yeah <laughs> like, and, 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 and the kids all loved oh, Hayes not too not that they to didn't sure. like him yeah. like it's just like he didn't fit with what was going to be because we can all look at it and be, well, even if you're here next year, you're not, you're not part of what we're building. Yeah, You don't like, fit. You in don't the long fit. Term. Like it's not going to happen. Agreed, so agreed. I, I just maybe, but we get the prover and D'Angelo and we have talked about prover is the big prover especially. I always
1: got the sense that D'Angelo guys was, liked him. was generally liked. Yeah. Um, was generally liked in the room. I think sometimes he would get a little, little yelly, in, sen- in the sense of, like, he would yell at guys for messing up, and it's like, dude, like, you're the worst defensive defenseman on this team. What the hell? So I think that occasionally maybe rubbed people the wrong way. But I think, in general, people liked Tony D'Angelo on the team, players on the team and whatnot. Pro-V was a problem. And, you know, we're not even going to get into, into the prize stuff. I think that played a role just because of how... That was just kind of like a check against it Exa- well him. it was just because like, of how well liked and well respected scott lawton is and this was scott's thing and Provy was not willing to be part of scott's thing but it, this this went far beyond that like one of the stories i heard about uh, about this was just that like Provy never really hung out with with his teammates you know he was always kind of off on his own off doing his own thing he just was never and this was even in the good years when the flyers were contending that he was kind of I won't, I won't say a lone wolf because he just basically spent all this time with his girlfriend. But, like, the one story I heard was during Casino Night, which they were doing again this year, that, like, basically all the guys are, you know, they're around at like, the craps table just, like, hanging out shooting the shit. And Proby, like, spent the whole time just, like, off in his own little world. And it's like, you know... And sometimes, and maybe that's just that's just not him. Maybe he's just a very, you know, independent kind of guy who doesn't particularly care to, you know, hang out with any group. Maybe it was just this group. But for whatever reason, he just didn't seem to fit. And he clearly wasn't happy playing under Tortorella. So that played into it too. Not only is he not like an ingrained part of the the friend group, he also doesn't like the coach. He doesn't like the style. He made that abundantly clear before the opener when he basically said that we've been playing a style I've hated for years. And you know that plays into the lack of accountability because then everything is the style's fault. Nothing is his fault, which then plays into other players in the team not liking them that much because it's like, hey, when I screw up, I I acknowledge it. I own it. You don't. You blame other people. So I think Provi more than the other two, definitely, he was someone who needed to go for off-ice reasons because he really just didn't fit this kind of tight-knit culture they were trying to build in that locker room. I just love that, like,
0: if I'm a longtime member of that locker room, I'm looking at Claude Giroux. It's like... Yeah, this kid's complaining. <laughs> yeah. You don't like the way things have been going the last couple of years here. Huh? How about that? How about that? How about that? Uh I, we got to uh, I got to get one of these gotta, in we here. Gotta fit in at we got we to we got to get Let's talk about Shady Rays. Listen, you got to gear up for the season ahead with quality shades built to last. And our friends at Shady Rays have you covered with premium polarized shades and quick swap snow goggles that won't break the bank. Shady Rays is an independent sunglass company that offers an unrivaled product that's just as good as any expensive pair we've worn. Durable frames and world-class optics for all outdoor adventures. And if you're into winter sports, their quick swap snow lenses switch easily from full sun to low light. Don't let changing light conditions slow down, slow you down on the slopes when all you need is Shady Rays snow goggles. And that's not all. Shady Rays offers. The most insane protection in all of eyewear. Every pair of sunglasses is backed by lost or broken replacements. If you lose or break your pair, even on day one, they told us they will send you a brand new pair, no questions asked. Wear your Shady Rays with confidence because they have your back long after you purchase. If you don't love your Shady Rays, and I bet you will, but if you don't love your Shady Rays, exchange for a new pair or return them free Within 30 days, there's no risk when you shop. Their team always has your back with personal and fast support. And exclusively for our listeners, Shady Rays is giving out an amazing deal for the season. Go to shadyrays.com and use code PHLY for 50% off two plus pairs of polarized sunglasses. Try for yourself the shades rated five stars by over 250,000 people. Uh, it's like, what? An eighth of the people that are going to be on Broad Street in a couple of weeks for the parade. A couple, well, a couple weeks or tonight. <laughs> uh, tonight, <laughs> tonight, there'll be about two hundred and fifty thousand. Uh, but you know,
1: yeah, in a few weeks, two mil, I think, is the goal. I mean, I, it, it's doable given how much people love this team. It's, Philly's just got to get the job done.
0: There, I've never been more confident in a team. <laughs> like I, I realized when I did the whole thing. I've listened back to some episodes and uh i said this team just feels destined and then they immediately lost two in a <laughs> row i was like oh, well bill. don't don't maybe thanks, don't say bill. these things bill <laughs> thanks bill uh let's get to uh, anything else on the
1: piece or the locker room before we get to some uh mailbag questions yeah i just think it's going to be interesting to see how this <sighs> this all develops uh you know, the the relationships between players, who steps up from a leadership standpoint. Obviously, we've turned it into a running joke on the show about the captaincy, about who who's gonna be the captain, who's gonna get the C. But I do think that there is something to be said about them. Possibly part of it is that they want, they don't wanna they, want, they don't want to peg someone as the captain because they want to see this leadership element develop organically, and they don't want to have one person be, be fixed with that role and rather just have a bunch of guys do it, and then if in two years it becomes abundantly clear that like this is the dude, this is the guy who does the things in the room, outside of the room, then... That becomes the guy, but it's not where like we're gonna give this guy the C and then he's gonna feel obligated to do the things. So it's gonna be interesting over these next couple of years, especially as hopefully a new wave of really talented guys come in. You know, if someone like Cutter Gauthier can can enter the room organically, if someone like Mubbey Mitchkoff can enter the room organically, it's gonna be interesting. Can it's you gonna imagine, be very Can you imagine the Philadelphia Flyers having a rushing
0: captain? Oh my god. What a <laughs> just it's, it's, a new a era. Time. it's a new era, it's a of, new orange. era of orange <laughs> he talking about love uh <laughs> i just know you love it so much oh my god uh let's get to some uh let's get to some mailbag questions and we will lead it off with i guess well this it's really the wade allison conversation where yeah. a couple of these uh well because
1: we mentioned him earlier in the show yeah. so i think this is a, a good, couple a of good springboard so lappy basically said that this was over the weekend. over the
0: weekend right that Wade Allison has to be more like Tanner Lazinski in handling his demotion. Wade even got demoted to the Phantom's fourth line. Yikes. Things are not going well for the uh, once promising looking dude from Western Michigan. And that leads us to a couple of our uh, first questions. I guess first we'll start with uh, Sam at Gritty Stand 69. Any thoughts on Le Perrier's comments on Wade Allison this weekend and what it means for his chances of getting called back up? Well,
1: the obvious answer is it means a lot for his chances of being called back Doesn't up. does sound great. In that if someone gets hurt, he ain't going to be the guy who gets called back up. No, from
0: – he was I
1: – mean, <laughs> at least not yet.
0: We were penciling him in as 13th forward, and now it's –
1: yeah. I'll see you when we see. You. Yeah, yeah. I, I think the the comparison I want to make here is with Zach McEwen last year because Zach McEwen dealt with something similar. Obviously, McEwen has a uh, you know has a lower ceiling, let's say as a player than what we would expect Wade Allison or we hope Wade Allison's ceiling is. McEwen is more of a straightforward liner, more of a fighter type. Wade Allison, you think, hey, maybe he could be a, a twenty twenty five goal scorer in the NHL if he hits. Well, McEwen got sent down at the end of camp. He passed through waivers. Nobody claimed him. He came down, and he easily could have sulked. He easily could have been like, no, I'm an NHL player. This is ridiculous. They just don't value me. And then, you know, struggled for the first three or four weeks down in the AHL. Instead... He hit the ground running, had a couple really good games to start the AHL year. And then for, I think it was like the very first injury and maybe the second injury that happened in the forward court. McEwen was right back up and he actually had a couple really good games to start out the, you know, his NHL portion of his season. And when Allison was sent down, I think the, the communication from Tortorella, from the organization to him was go do what Zach did last year and make it so you're not down there for long going with the right attitude this appears to be confirmation that wade allison did not go down with a great attitude and i don't want to i don't want to bury this kid because you know what i i get it i understand why someone who has pr- proved last year that at the very least he is an nhl caliber player
0: yeah like we in a in a lineup yeah. to be determined but, but he, he can play in the nhl he looks like he belongs in the yeah. nhl
1: i i can understand why someone who believes they are an nhl caliber player who has a lot of internal pride is going to think that this is bullshit. And especially if he feels like he's being treated unfairly by the coaches, if he feels like the organization doesn't value him, if he's honestly a little hurt that they sent him down, if he's hurt that no one in the NHL felt the need to claim him given the fact that he showed he was an NHL player last year, I can understand why that could could eat at a guy and why that could impact him. That said, if you're going to make it in the NHL, you got to overcome those things. Like You have to. It's pretty rare that a player isn't going to deal with some type of adversity in their NHL career. It's part of the reason why they went out and they they brought in guys like John LeClair and Patrick Sharp to help with development is that, you know, these guys weren't Eric Lindrosis who came in and were stars immediately. These are guys that, you know, got scratched, who who got benched, who got sent down, who had to spend time on the fourth line before they showed what they really were capable of. And Wade Allison is having to deal with some of that adversity. And at least in the early stage of the season, He's not apparently doing a great job dealing with it and and that's it's not a great sign.
0: So I guess that that gets us to the next question from uh this was actually from the Diehard Discord uh J chime 90. If a fourth liner goes down, would that ensure Frost, Forster, Brinker all in the lineup or would they call up a fourth line guy? That's an interesting question. My initial thought is yeah, all three are in. Scott Lawton's four C, yeah. something like that. To me, that would or be, what if he but, fills in for Palin or whoever
1: I, Deloria? I, I lean towards that just because it would. I do think as much as we talked about over the last week about you know they're not as high on Frost as some people are. I do think they know that he's not a guy they want to keep out they of lineup forever. Jump him. Yeah,
0: they can't possibly have someone in the minors and be like, yeah, you're playing Frost still. Like, yeah, that would be. We got a question last week from when we did some discord questions. Does he have, does Frost have any trade value? If they jumped him, wouldn't that point everyone to go,
1: well, he has no value internally. Why would we ever give up anything for this guy? Right? yeah yeah I, to me yeah if if say like ryan Paling or garnet hathaway goes down and they yeah. bring up taron lasinski instead of just yeah. dressing yeah that, that would Brayard. it would send a message and then they, could, Frost, they yeah. could spin it in that like well you know fourth liner where it's a fourth liner for a fourth liner but it would send a message that like but you have scott long yeah Exactly, and it sends a message that yeah, we are we really don't value Morgan Frost at all. So to me, if a fourth liner were to go down, yeah, that that would give them the the flexibility, the ability to more easily get Frost back in the lineup. And if that means putting Scott Lawton on the fourth line for three or four games, Lawton's the kind of guy where he would accept that without complaint. He knows he's doing it for the good of the team, things like that. And the fourth lines are pretty effective. It's it's interesting though, you know, let's say that. There are a few injuries, and this is piggybacking off the Allison conversation. I definitely don't think that Allison would be the first call up. I think if he had go, he went down and scored three goals in his first four games, he would have been because clearly he was in the sense the last guy to be sent down. So yeah, he would presumably be the first one up. But now Tanner Luszinski's playing well. Oli Luxell had a big weekend. So if if a top niner were to go down, if two top niners go down, because presumably for us to be the first one in lixell is really doing well and Lixell's a guy who i think they like i think they like i think there are people in the organization that are really high on him you know he didn't quite make the cut this year didn't have a great camp but he, he showed flashes last year scored a lot of points in the ahl so to me guys like lixell and guys like lazinski they've at least for now they've jumped wade allison and it's up to wade allison to kind of Get his head right and put himself back in a position where he's not spending 50 games in the minors this year. It sounds like Wade Allison just needs to
0: bet on himself. I, I don't know. That wasn't great, but I respect was, the effort. I thought if I just really delivered it the right way, it would make sense, but it doesn't. Anyway, <laughs> let me tell you about DraftKings. The NFL season is going strong, and DraftKings Sportsbook is hooking up new customers with an offer that's even stronger. Bet five bucks on any game this week to score $200 instantly in bonus bets. And DraftKings isn't stopping there. All customers can take advantage of a sweetener offer every game day this October. And guess what? Today is a game day, and it is still October. And we've got a good one tonight with uh, San Fran favored by six and a half in Minnesota. And then just a few days away, kicking off next week's Action Thursday, Buffalo looks to rebound. They're currently seven and a half point favorites at home against Tampa Bay. All the games, everything you're looking for available on DraftKings. So get in on the great game day greatness. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code PHLY. New customers can score $200 instantly in bonus bets when you bet five on the NFL. That's code PHLY only on DraftKings Sportsbook. An official sports betting partner of the NFL, the crown is yours. Gambling problem, call 1 800 Gambler. Visit www.1 800Gambler.net. In New York, call 8778 Hope NY or text Hope NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888 789 7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort. Licensee partner Golden Nugget Lake Charles, 21 plus, age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See sportsbook.draftkings.com/slash/football/terms for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. All right, few more, uh, few more mailbag questions for us here, Charlie. And this is a uh, this is actually pretty good one uh, from Billy O. Uh, Noah, Cates and Owen Tippett are shaking off their bad starts. Do we feel like Scott Lawton had a better game on Saturday night? The defensive lapses surprised me since his identity revolves around being a two-way player. Of that trio with slow starts, seems like he's still struggling. Would you say Scott Lawton is off to a slow start?
1: He's put up some points. Honestly, no. I Do I think he can play better from a two-way standpoint? Yeah, I, I do. But no, it's hard for me to say a guy's off to a slow start when he has four points in five games. And he's far from a close-to-point-per-game guy, true talent-wise. Yeah, he's had some lapses, to be sure. But I don't think I would call it a slow start. He's been part of what has been a significantly more aggressive penalty kill. I think he's looked pretty darn good on the PK. Yeah, he hasn't been perfect at 5-on-5 for five games into the year. I'm certainly not at a point with Scott Lawton where... I'm advocating for him to be dropped down the lineup. I'm advocating for him to, to sit out for Morgan Frost, for example. I think he's playing fine. I think he has another gear. I think he probably knows that he's made some mistakes. But he's been in and around the play. He's been active. I, I haven't I haven't loved what I've seen from him so far. But I think in a lot of ways, that may be more reflection on just how many players whose starts I have loved, particularly in the forward core, that it just doesn't seem like Lawton has been As impressive relatively comparison in comparison to say like somebody like Konechny or somebody like Brink or somebody like Couturier like those are the guys that are jumping out at me and then you have you know a guy like Tippett you know has a really really good game a guy like Cates I thought was really good on Saturday like Lawton hasn't had that one game where you're like yeah there's there's this Scott Lawton who who stepped up last year and became like a legitimate second line caliber forward he hasn't had that game but he's still producing on the score sheet. He's still helping on the penalty kill. So I'm in no way, shape or form concerned about Scott Lawton.
0: I I like how you put it. Like in in any given year, if Scott Lawton started out with four points in five games, you'd be like, Oh shit. Look at Scott. Exactly. Yeah. But because we're so hyper-focused on like every individual guy and especially the younger players and they're off to a much better start than many of us expected. It's like, Oh, what's up with Scott? It's like, well, He's probably fine, but, like, a bunch of dudes are actually playing real well. Yeah. That does lead to a question, though, like, how much leash? We know the coach loves him. We know he's the only guy wearing a letter, all that stuff. Is there any scenario in your mind where he might come out of the lineup for Morgan Frost at some point?
1: It's real tough. Absolutely no way. It's really tough for me to imagine that. I'm not saying it can't happen because, look— John Terrell has made it abundantly clear that he wants to be focused on accountability. And if Scott Lawton has a really bad week, Hey, anything can happen. But, and there is also the element of he's a slightly older player. I wouldn't quite call him old. You know, he's not in his thirties, but he's not in that like 24 and younger crew that people are really more hyper-focused on. Like let's play them as much as we can. Lawton's more of a, of a veteran type guy. He's been around. They think he's, He's probably like 28, 29 at this point. I, I I don't remember his exact age. I know he's in his late 20s. So I understand why people might, you know, look at him with a little bit of a side eye and be like, would they sit him? I, I'd i be surprised. I'd be surprised. I'd it, say it's impossible. I'd just be surprised.
0: It, I think surprising is the word. Uh, and it's, maybe it's the, the quote, hypocritical side of torts, but like,
1: He's just his kind of player. I think coaches, like Lawton is the kind of guy too. And maybe Cates over time will develop into this kind of guy. You could see him going down this path. But coaches, understandably, I don't think this is an irrational thing for a coach to want. Coaches love to have that one guy in their lineup where it's like an in case of emergency break glass kind of thing where like hey if two guys get injured in the same game and suddenly we're down to 10 forwards i know scott Lawton. i can put him up on the first line if i have to he can play center he can play the right side he can play the left side i could stick him in on the power play and he won't he's not going to be amazing but he'll hang in there like they like to have that guy where you know he can plug a hole if a hole pops up unexpectedly in a game, if one guy just doesn't friggin' have it that night, if he, I mean, who the hell knows? Maybe he was out drinking the night before and it's pretty clear in his first two shifts that this guy just does not have his legs. Fucking Faraby,
0: <laughs> Not Joel. <laughs> ah, it's his place. <laughs> it's going to be his fault. No matter. Who. No, I actually, I love, no, but, but, but seriously, like,
1: Lawton gives a coach, any coach, but particularly yeah. a coach like Twitter, he gives him that flexibility that, hey, if something goes wrong, I can use Lawton anywhere. And that's the kind of thing where I just think it would make them hesitant to take that sort of Swiss Army Knife type player out of the lineup because it just makes a coach feel a little bit more, a little bit more confident, a little bit more at ease knowing that they have a guy like Lawton that they can use in any role if they need to.
0: Now, we have a, we have a few more mailbag questions coming up. Uh, but first, Charlie wants to run through a few numbers uh, through the first five games. They're mostly good, with That's, the exception of one. With, and I bet you can guess. <laughs> I bet you can I guess. You can guess. <laughs> <laughs> but it's you know we've we've made the comparison, like okay, this year versus last year, but it just looks different. And I think the numbers kind of bear that oh, out. The numbers, but, yeah, like. What do you uh, what do you really want to dive into here with your
1: advanced analytics, yeah, you know, but, like mean, shot attempts? Yeah, such an advanced- yeah. And like advanced <laughs> analytics as in like penalty kill and power play yeah, efficiency rates. Exactly. No, so so going into five on five real quick, uh, expectacles, which if you're not familiar, it's it's basically exactly what it sounds like. It's essentially weighting every shot, chances. every shot for yeah. the quality of the chance and putting a number value on it and then adding them all up. The Flyers so far this year have, at five on five, collected 57.07% of the expected goals. Currently through five games, that ranks them fourth in the NHL. That's real good. Like that is not a, we're lucking into this and our goalie is stopping everything and we're scoring on 20% of our shots. That is, we're legitimately controlling the play. They're also controlling the play in terms of raw shot attempts. Not quite as strong, but 52.94%, so about 53%. That ranks them eighth in the NHL. Now, what's interesting to me about, going back to the expectacles for a second. Last year, in terms of expectacle creation, so we're talking about how many how many quality chances per game they're creating. Last year, they ranked 24th. So far this year, they ranked sixth. And small sample size, five games. But my question that to you... That is a jump. My question to you, Bill, is do you think... Like, I think we can agree that getting back a healthy Sean Kateria and getting back Cam Atkinson, it's going to help the offense. Do you think the offense can sustain maybe not this big of a jump maybe they're not going to remain the sixth best offense in hockey but could they be substantially better than the 24th best offense in hockey
0: i think a lot
1: just revolves
0: around one sean couturier i think he's the most obvious i mean when sean couturier is on the ice generally play goes that way towards yeah i'm looking at yeah to, it goes offensive. Yeah,
1: it goes in the direction you know, that they're pointing to like, in that yeah. particular period. <laughs> like,
0: it, like He makes play go towards the offensive side because he's so good in the neutral zone and just uh, everything he does, we know. Um, I think if Bobby Brink can stay playing the way he stayed, and we've talked, you know, from preseason, like, is he just on a heater? Well, no, it looks like he belongs now. Looks like he's an NHL player. But can he still, can he for the next 80 games, whatever, 76 games, 77, continue doing this? And like when they're in the offensive zone, create looks for guys like he has for Farabee so often. Like, because he's a scoring chance. Like that's him. He's creating scoring chances for guys. And to the same vein, like Travis Sanheim look what he's doing especially offensively right now this is what I've wanted out of him for so long can he keep this up and it's just if you're optimistic about this thing then absolutely yeah look at what what these guys have done it's year two under Tortorella they're going to keep this rolling we have guys in the right positions now the locker room's good as we've detailed there's just so much going in their favor at this moment that you go yeah, maybe not the sixth, but what if they're a top 10 offense? What if they're a top 12 offense?
1: Like, I guess I could believe it. It opens up a lot of possibilities if they have taken a leap offensively. And Tortorella has made it clear that he wants them taking more risks offensively as compared to last year. And he said it's a balancing act because. You know they focus so much on implementing a standard of of the way you have to play in order to succeed. Last year, now they're loosening the reins a little bit, but they also don't want to loosen it, loosen it too much so that then the defensive structure starts failing. So far through five games, they found a good balance. They they rank eighth in terms of defense, sixth in terms of offense at five on five. So right now the balance is there. Now will the balance stay there when the best teams are playing sharper? Will the balance stay there when they get worn down a little bit, when injuries maybe strike up front? I guess we'll see. But right now they are. And if this team is going to stay a legitimate offensive threat, if they're going to create a lot of chances, we talked about this a little on Saturday where they're going to have to do it by outworking teams. They're going to have to create their chances, not necessarily because one guy dangled through the defense, but it's going to be via rebounds. It's going to be, you know, via passing plays that go between four players because that's the way you get defenses out of out of position not because one guy makes two dudes look stupid because they don't have guys with that kind of skill level yet hopefully in a couple of years they will they're not here yet so if they're going to do this there. if they're going to do this it's going to have to be through hard work mm-hmm. and it's going to have to be through every single line contributing and then being one of those teams that kind of comes at you in waves not waiting for the next Connor mcdavid shift to turn the tide is it possible yeah it's, just, it's gonna be tough because they have a hot they're, they're gonna have it's just a higher degree of difficulty to do it this way as opposed to doing it when you have three or four dudes that are legitimate top tier offensive players
0: well you're asking 10 11 12 dudes to be all on their game rather than yeah one awesome guy being awesome yeah like that you can count on What if the fourth line has one of those games where it's like, oh, yeah, they're pinned in the whole game? Yeah. Well, they create a lot of momentum for this team. Uh, That's going to be tough. It's going to be tough to do. If they just don't have it. Yeah, if they're just not there that one night.
1: But 5-0-5 so far, like, it's too early. I generally start paying close attention to the team-wide numbers once we get to around game 10. That's when I feel like they start to normalize a bit. There's been studies that have shown that that's kind of when they start becoming a bit for real. So we're only halfway there, but... So far, so good at five on five. Now, special teams, the penalty kill looks better. Right now they rank 12th. They're at 82.4. I think 80% is kind of like the bare minimum of like this is where, this is where a team should be at least. And then if you're better than that, that's great. So far, they're 12th at 82.4. They're tied for the lead in shorthanded goals with four tied with Carolina. So if you're looking at sometimes what teams do is they account, they basically will. Erase a power play goal allowed if you get a shorthanded goal in terms of the way they evaluate it. If you look at that, the Flyers have a really good penalty kill because they've scored four times. Then we get to the problem. 5.6% of the power play, 30th, one goal, yikes. I Like, you tell me
0: 5.6%, you tell me one goal, and all I can think of is Bull Durham. How the hell did we get the one? <laughs> like, this power play... They've had, and listen, like you have more guys than the other team, so you'd think you'd get some looks. So I'm not going to say every power play has been a disaster.
1: A lot of them have been.
0: been But (laughs) there have been a ton where I look up at the clock and it's like, there's 55 seconds left. I go, what? we have a power play? I forgot in a minute five that it's been a power play. It just continues to look like regular gameplay. And if they don't win that face off, it's like, ooh, baby. Yeah, they're not getting in the zone. No, no,
1: it's it's they're rough. better at five on five. They're apparently better short-handed. <laughs> <laughs> Was it four to one? Yeah, it's <laughs> not even close. It's, not even, it's close. not even like it's two one. I mean, it's going to take about three more weeks to get the four power play goals this, at this rate.
0: Yeah, it's we used to joke like because they're so bad at the shootout. Yeah, like if they got a penalty shot, c- can we just opt for the power play, please?
1: I don't know, let Sean Couturier take a penalty shot yeah, right? again. Yeah. Can
0: we Can we not
1: do this power play? I didn't even think of that. They have just as many penalty shot goals as they do power play goals. Yeah. And it's... they've had a hell of a lot more power plays than penalty shot opportunities. For one, penalty shot? But, it, I mean, the power play, look. <laughs> to me, I went into this year not expecting the power play to be very good. And I've articulated that on the show in that I view power plays as a very star-driven enterprise. The Flyers don't have stars. They're going to struggle a bit. That said the power play shouldn't be this bad. You have more guys <laughs> than the other team. Someone's open. Like it shouldn't be this bad. And I'm not an anti-Rocky Thompson person the same way I was an anti-Ian Laparriere person for years oh, in terms of his penalty kill work. But the hard truth is that Rocky Thompson needs to do a better job coaching the power play because no power play should be sub 10%. And they were real bad last year too. So this isn't a new thing. They were 32nd. Out of 32 teams last year, it was uh, ugly.
0: Yeah. Is there... Now, we and the the whole point of the show for however long we've been doing it is they don't have high-end talent, hence why they're rebuilding. Right. Aside from somehow going into the creation zone and making a guy who can shoot like Alex Ovechkin... Um, what can be done to improve this power? Like, do you see something
1: strategically that's not playing to this team's strengths? I think, I think they have enough pieces where you should be able to at least put together a, a slightly below average power play because you have guys with skills. Like, you have Tyson Forrester with a plus-plus shot. You have Bobby Brink, who's looking like a legitimately good playmaker. I personally really like Noah Cates as a net front and down low guy. I think he's really good in puck battles, and I think he can do that. Sean Couture in past years has been good as a bumper. So they have guys who... Like, you would think they have enough guys who seem to be good at certain things. Owen Tippett has the kind of speed that you would think he would be pretty good at creating zone entries. He sure seems to be good at it at five on five. So they have pieces. They have pieces that you would think that over time you can put a puzzle together where it's at least a functional power play. Clearly, they haven't yet. It's early in the season. Maybe they will, but the fact that they weren't able to do it last year and the only pieces they've added this year are Katuria and Atkinson, who, while they're both good players, Atkinson maybe in his prime was a high-end power play guy. I don't think he is anymore. Katuria was always more of a support power play guy. He was always the, the third or fourth best weapon on the unit. He's, He's not the first weapon on it. Uh, unit.
0: We used to talk about guys earning their power play time at five on five. Because power play time is where you rack up the yeah, points, where you make your and money. And Couturier is a dude who is rewarded for his efforts yes. at five on five on the power play. And if you had, you know, younger Claude Giroux, younger Jake Vorja, if you had these guys around him, yeah, he yeah. could be he could be useful. But without those other high
1: end dudes, if you're depending on Sean Couturier, well, that's not him. I think to me, and this uh, this is part of the reason why I get so overly frustrated with Morgan Frost's lack of power play ability thus far in his NHL career because my belief and p- part of this probably is that I spent the last decade plus watching Claude Giroux but my belief is that for a power play to be good you yes you need you need depth you need guys that are good in their roles but you need that one guy who is the alpha on the power play you everyone knows that it's his unit And he's the engine that makes it go. For years, it was Drew. They don't have anyone who has yet stepped up and made it clear that, like, this is my unit and the puck goes through me. And why I get so frustrated with Frost is that I think he has the talent to do that. He just hasn't. And not only has he not stepped up to say, I'm the distributor, the puck goes through through me. He's been actively bad on the power play. He's been making it worse. And to me, if this power play is going to get better, if it's going to take, it's going to get better naturally than 5.6% because no power plays is this bad. But if it's going to get to the point where it's like even the 18, 19% range where we're approaching competency, it's going to have to be because somebody like Bobby Brink or somebody like Travis Konechny just steps up and is like, Puck goes through through me, I'm creating the chances, I'm distributing, I'm the guy who makes this thing work. And no one's done that yet. And I want to see someone do it. Now, who that is, I have no idea, but I want to see someone do it. And I feel like until someone does it, it's not going to matter who's coaching in the unit, it's not going to matter who's in the, the front of the net, You know whether the handedness is, is the exact right way. Someone just has to step up and say, this is mine and everything goes through me. That's just my personal opinion. See you in March,
0: Cutter. It'll be him. Don't you worry. (laughs) Uh, Listen, I got to tell you about our friends at Game Time. Uh, Buying tickets to your favorite events shouldn't be stressful. Game Time is the fast and easy way to buy tickets for all the sports, music, comedy, and theater near you. With killer deals on last-minute tickets and their best price guarantee, you can stop stressing over the tickets and start getting hyped for the fun you'll have. And Game Time is the place for last-minute ticket deals Forget planning months in advance. Game time has deals on tickets right up to the day of the event. Get exclusive flash deals on tickets for football, basketball, baseball, concerts, comedy, theater, and more. The game time guarantee means you'll always get the best price if you find tickets in the same section and row for less. Game time will credit you 110% of the difference. Listen. Just a few hours. We're just a few hours away from game time right here in Philly. Sure are. Maybe check out them flash deals on Philly's tickets if you want to be a part of the party. That's going to take Philly's down at Citizens Bank Park tonight. So snag the tickets without the stress with game time. Download the game time app, create an account, and use code PHLY for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account and redeem code PHLY for $20 off. Download game time today. Last-minute tickets, lowest price, guaranteed. That was with the uh, the idea about Morgan Frost on the power play. It's one of the things that, and it's not just him. Like there's, it's not just there's him. a whole bunch of dudes it, it, on it, this team that should not, be better at
1: this. It's not just, but him. it's it's that I get frustrated because I see someone who could solve the problem yeah. and just hasn't.
0: Yeah, and it's we keep oh well his five on five scoring numbers. He led the team. It's why can't we just say total scoring? Yeah because the power play wasn't there and, and
1: it's such a big problem for this team like i'm not gonna get mad <laughs> should someone like travis connect be maybe the engine that makes this and, thing go and, a little and, bit and better maybe, maybe he has to be maybe he has to be i don't think he's like that good of a playmaker i think he functions a little bit better in chaos than he does in yes. structure which That's... is the power play which is why i don't think he's the ideal but if he's just the best offensive player they have, maybe they have to start attacking with a little bit more chaos. Maybe they have to take on the identity of Travis Connecty a little bit more on the power play and be more of a rush-based attack rather than a a setup in the zone and pass it around. Look, will that work? I don't know, but what I know is what they're this doing. Ain't working, what they're Liz- doing right now ain't working. So what? try and try new things. That could That could not work and be well
0: below league average and still be far better than what they're doing. Yeah. Like, yeah. they have won in five games.
1: Yeah. That's and, hard to do. And and people will ask me this a lot. They're, they'll be like, what do you think they should do to fix the power play? And my answer, truthfully... get better players. No, I mean, well, that is at its core, my yes, answer. yes. But my answer, honestly, is like, I don't know. It's not my job to figure out how to fix the power play. It's the people like there's a reason why I'm not getting paid to be a power play coach in the NHL. I don't know not what yet, the so- I don't know what the solution is. But you know what? The guys who they have hired to fix it. It's their job to fix it. So try new things. Like, try having two guys below the uh, below the goal line as distributors. Try, you know, overloads. Try different things and give it long looks because whatever they're doing now, the, the traditional 1-3-1 one, one that everyone does, it clearly isn't working for the Flyers, and it hasn't worked for the Flyers. It really hasn't worked for the Flyers for the last, like, four or five years since Drew stopped being the super elite guy, but it really hasn't worked for the Flyers ever since Drew's gone because now they got nobody who can be that guy or at least no one who has stepped up to, to say, I want to be that guy and I can be that guy.
0: I want to close out with a couple more mailbag questions, Charlie. Uh, I'm going to go to, because it's my favorite name in this whole thing. Cap. God damn it, Idiot Savant. That's kind of good. Is a... I like His question is, any chance they send Andre down and call up a different defenseman, Adder, Jenning, uh, Victor Mete, especially if Risto can't go? Related, can we just put Sandstrom on waivers at this point? So is there any chance, first, with Risto not available and then not having a ton of confidence in Andre that they call up someone else?
1: Well, I, I don't think it's gonna happen on this trip. Currently, they're uh, they're on a road trip. They play in Vegas tomorrow, uh, late game. We will not be doing a post-game, thank God. Um, but we will be doing a show tomorrow afternoon, so check that out. Um, I don't think they're gonna be doing anything on this trip. Now, when they get home, maybe they reevaluate whether they think Andre might be better served going down to the minors, getting a lot of ice time, and if Ristolainen's injury suddenly has turned from this isn't that serious, we're just being cautious into, we need to sit you down for three weeks, then yeah, maybe you do bring up a Victor Mete type who can sit as the seven while you give Igor Zamola every single game and you let Emil Andre get 22 minutes a night down in the AHL. I wouldn't hate that. I really would not hate that at all. However, at least to this point, they still seem like they're committed to developing Emil Andre up here. And while... This is one of those things where it's like, it's not something I would do. I would send Andre down now, but I'm not mad about it. If they think this is the best way to develop him and they really want, like I have, I I, find it interesting what they're doing. I talked a lot about this on Saturday, talking about the penalty kill and that I have a lot of respect for Brad Shaw as a coach. If they think that Emil Andre will benefit more by playing two games a week and then working on a daily basis, with Brad Shaw on the ice and in in the video room, because they think that's the best way to turn him into the top four defenseman they think he can be. Hey, I'm cool with it. I don't know if it's going to work, but you know what? You never know if this development stuff is going to work. I I trust Brad Shaw enough to be open to the idea that that might be the best path of action. Maybe that's. I, I just I'm very interested. Like I want to see this work with
0: Andre. I yeah. don't want to see him get sent down. I mean. If they make that, if they do it, like you said, I'm not going to be mad because yeah, go play number one minutes. Yeah, do I mean, we're all, it. We're all watching
1: these games. We're seeing the mistakes yeah. he's making.
0: I just, I, I don't know if I've seen the
1: Flyers
0: do it this way before. Yeah, where they're like, he's not quite ready, but down there does him no good. Because I've always, like, I always, you know, most of the time was just yelling because I wanted to yell, and it's like, (laughs) show me the goddamn young players. You can only learn to play in the NHL by playing in the NHL. Maybe that's not right for everyone, but they seem to believe it's right for Andre. And he hasn't looked great yet, but if you want to look great, you got to go with FOCO. FOCO has the absolute best officially licensed gear for all sports and fandoms. It's football and tailgating season. It's Red October. They've got everything you need. From hoodies, hats, sunglasses, bags, to overalls, baby. If it's game day, you got to go with FOCO. And if you're just looking for maybe spice up your your apartment, spice up your man cave, they've got the accessories, toys, collectibles, and novelty items that you need. FOCO always has our back for Philly sports, and they have yours too. Get the best gear around by using the link in the description of this show. And for all non-presale items, use promo code PHLY for 10% off. FOCO, get your overalls. All right, let's get through a couple more more questions before we close it out. Uh, It is Mailbag Monday. Yeah, it is. So obviously on Tuesday and Wednesday, we will also do mailbag (laughs) questions uh, from Matthew Stanford. If the Flyers overperform and accidentally make the playoffs, does it in any way hurt the rebuild? Do we
1: really have to keep talking about this every single show? This is becoming the new who is the captain question. Yes. It could and it could not. It, well, as we've said, is that it depends on how they do it. If they do it by Carter Hart having a 935 save percentage and the 505 metrics fall off a cliff and a bunch of the young guys struggle and they just sneak in because a few of the Eastern Conference expected favorites had a rash of injuries, then yeah, that hurts the rebuild because they have a weaker draft pick and they're still no closer to building a contending team than they were at the start of this year. But if they do it because Sean Guterrier looks like is a Selkie finalist again and Noah Cates and Owen Tippett look great and Bobby Brink looks like he can be a a second line forward for years to come. And Travis Sanheim is a number one defenseman who is suddenly on a good contract rather than a terrible one. Then no, it's not bad at all. It actually expedites the thing because then you've got cutter Gauthier coming at the end of the year. You've got Matthew Mitchkoff coming in a year or two. And suddenly this doesn't have to be a long rebuild at all. And hopefully you've already got two star level talents in the pipeline. So, it's it's unclear as to whether it could be bad or good. Right now, I'm just enjoying the ride.
0: Tell you what's gonna be very annoying. What's up? When Florida finishes worse than the Flyers, but it's top 10 protected, we don't get it till 2025. That would suck. That will be very, yeah, very that'd, that'd annoying. Be a bummer. Uh, let's get to one more here. I think this one you'll like. Okay. From uh YGL hockey. Which players on the team are most likely to attend? Oh, to have attended when we were young on Sunday, is yeah. that the uh, that's the festival for people like me?
1: Yeah, who yeah. like are still. It, it was it was heavy. I went last year. It's like last year was heavy on the the emo bands. It was it was like like my chemical romance was the headliner paramore was there had a great time it was a blast this, this year, year was pop punk. this year right? was more pop punk okay, you same. had blank you had green day um you had a bunch of like of the old school pop punk bands that uh that played i'm kind of kind of because a, a lot of the players on this team are big country guys yeah a lot of them are yeah, so the
0: thing people americans don't realize about canadians i think is that canadians are just chill yeah Like it's a lot of country maple leaf flag on the F one fifty up there. A
1: hundred percent is one guy who I do think probably I don't know if he would have went, but like if there wasn't a game and someone had got him a ticket, he would have gone. I could have seen Carter Hart there. Carter, Carter, (laughs) really? Yeah, he's he's a Foo Fighters fan, right? Right. Yeah, he's he's got got he's got some rock to his to his repertoire in terms. He plays guitar. I could see him being like, yeah, like Blink's cool. I'd go see them. I could see it. (laughs)
0: Like the most nondescript guy on the team. All right, uh, we have a few more, and we'll get to them like tomorrow. Uh, Our old pal Jay has a few questions, and guess what? Tomorrow is going to be the uh, BSH show, so we'll get the whole gang involved. If uh, you want to get some questions in for Mailbag Monday on Tuesday, hit me up at Philadelphia One. You know, we'll we'll figure it out. All right, that is all the time we have for you on PHLY Flyers today. Thank you all for listening. Thank you for hanging out. If you haven't already, hit that subscribe button. YouTube, podcasts, uh, PHLY diehards, do all of that stuff. For Charlie, I'm Bill Matz. Ring the bell, Phils. (laughs) Ah, hmm.